Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 468 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I think you're going to love today's conversation with Donald Miller. Don is the CEO of Business Made Simple, an online platform that teaches business professionals everything they need to know to grow a business and enhance their personal value in the open market. He's the host of the Business Made Simple podcast and the author of several books, including Building a Story Brand. And as some of you know, he is also the author of Blue Like Jazz. And that's where it all got started for Don. And uh, this turned out to be a fascinating interview because he said, yeah, go where you want. So I'm like, okay, let's talk about Blue Like Jazz Don and let's talk about Business Made Simple Don. And so we start there and we go all over the place and uh, we talk about what I do and it gives me free consulting. And then I don't know, it's just, it's like uh, I've, I've followed Don for, well, since Blue Like Jazz and it feels like all of those worlds converge in this interview. So it was a very warm interesting, fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. And this is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. So you can start your new year off right with the 2022 digital playbook from ProMedia Fire. Claim your copy today at promediafire.com slash 2022. And by CDF Capital, they host a premier XP summit. I have taught at them before. It's epic. If you're an executive pastor, you want to be in Manchester, New Hampshire, May 24th and 25th. Go to xpsummit.org to register today. Well, Donald Miller is the CEO of Business Made Simple, an online platform that teaches business professionals everything they need to know to grow a business and enhance their personal value on the open market. He is the host of the Business Made Simple podcast and the author of several books, including the bestseller Building a Story Brand. We also absolutely loved as a team. It was a team read for us. We did uh, Business Made Simple last year. And uh, Don lives and works in Nashville, Tennessee with his family. So very excited to bring you that episode. For those of you, by the way, who haven't subscribed yet, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, January, we always pick up a lot of new listeners, or if it already happened. If we haven't hit it yet, we will be hitting the 20 million download mark of this podcast. We have a little celebration for those of you who listen. You can follow me on the socials. On Twitter and Facebook, I'm C. Newhoff. And on Instagram, I'm Carrie Newhoff. We'll be giving away over $1,500 in Starbucks. Uh, just to say thank you as uh, people who have helped us hit this milestone. Without you, there is no podcast. We can't do this. So thanks for your support, your ratings, your reviews, your emails, your letters, your encouragement. Uh, we love you guys, and we're here in your corner. So we just want to do that as a small way of giving back and 20 million downloads. I was hoping for a million when we started this thing, you know, and uh, that was a pipe dream. So here we are. So excited. Well, as you know, the past two years has required constant change as a leader, and 2022 will be no different with the challenges that lay ahead. But on the flip side, it will include great opportunity. To help you navigate this year and level up your digital game with new technology, ProMedia Fire has something free for you, a 2022 digital playbook. It includes five digital trends to maximize your impact in 2022, the six biggest risks of decline to your organization and solutions for growth, why the hybrid approach will fail unless a key strategy is applied, and the digital investment guide with the best ROI for growth. And it's free. So you can start your new year off right with the 2022 digital playbook, 
from Promedia Fire. Claim your copy today at promediafire.com slash 2022. And today's episode is brought to you by CDF Capital. As the church shifts away from lockdowns and uncertainty, the questions that lie ahead haven't changed. Now more than ever, learning from each other is critically important. CDF Capital's XP Summit 2022 on May 24th and 25th provides an opportunity to learn from some of the top global ministry leaders. I've taught at this summit before. It's epic. And this year's theme is the post-pandemic church. We will get there at some point, folks. So be inspired and gain practical tools to help you navigate the season. As part of your registration, you will get access to an exclusive digital library curated just for you. Additionally, you can extend your summit experience by joining an XP Summit leadership cohort. It's a great opportunity. It's a small, intimate setting with like-minded leaders. You can register for XP Summit 2022 by going to xpsummit.org. That's xpsummit.org. Well, let's dive into a fantastic interview with the one and only Donald Miller. Don, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you. I'm so glad to be here, Carrie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a, a listener and actually avid consumer. I was telling you, uh, well, we met before at an event, but I, uh, you know, I remember where I was when I was reading Blue Light Jazz. It was a week at a friend's cottage and it was just transformative. And I've uh, been following everything, including the transformation into story brand and then business made simple. Last year, we read Business Made Simple as a team. Brilliant book. Really, really wow. great book. And um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of leaders listening, though. And thanks for being willing to go there. Who's like, wait a minute. Business Made Simple, Don. Blue Light Jazz, Don. Are they actually the same people? It's been quite the journey. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Well, my wife asked that question. So <laughs> does she? <laughs> there, there's been a couple of times and it always it's the most pleasing thing anybody can say for reasons I don't understand. But they'll say, uh, does anybody confuse you with the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz? And, uh, I think, yeah. <laughs> like they don't actually, know, right? They don't know. Often confuse myself with the guy who wrote Blue Like Jazz. Yeah, uh, it, it sounds like such a, a hard pivot, Carrie. Yeah. But you you know this world. It it really wasn't. It it really is a linear path, at least from my perspective, to you know, writing memoirs. You know, and I didn't go to college. I you know, all I had was my experience. I wasn't a theologian. I was you know, all I had was this experience of having grown up uh in a Southern Baptist church in Texas, having what I think was a genuine encounter with God, you know, becoming a Christian, and then going off and auditing classes at Reed College, which at the time was the most godless campus in the country, people think I was trying to write some sort of theological book or some sort of Christian perspective. I had some sort of agenda. My agenda really was just to write. I just enjoyed mm. writing. And I and because I wasn't very intelligent and didn't have a degree and hadn't <laughs> studied anything, I just had to write about my life. So so I, you know, that so that's what happened. And then in order to do that, I just geeked out and obsessed about story. And then when I I, I wrote seven sort of Christian books from a memoir-ish, you know, I wouldn't call it memoirs, but a memoir-ish voice. They were semi-autobiographical. They, right. they were semi-autobiographical. They, I learned from Anne Lamott. I just read Traveling Mercies and um, and was able to do one-tenth of what she's able to do with a pen. And, you know, that, that was great. And then I could have kept going, but the books, you know, they were selling fine, but the, they weren't selling what Blue Like Jazz sold. And so I thought, man, I really just want to get uh, you know, get this idea. It was um, Accenture hired me to create a project management framework based on story. 
Oh, wow. And I delivered that to them. They used it. They enjoyed it. And then, but as I created that, I thought, actually, story lends itself much more to messaging than project management. And so I created this story brand framework. I wrote the book. And I promise you, Carrie, I'm writing a book about how narrative structures can be used to filter a marketing message. Nobody is going to buy this book. Nobody. This is my mother who buys everything won't buy this one. She'll right. say, well, I passed on that one. And it ends up selling 600,000 copies. So for was me, that building was a really, story brand, that book? Building a story brand. Yeah. So for me, it was really you know, loving to write and, and, and falling in love with words and, and the process, uh, writing all those memoirs, then realizing I don't have an eighth memoir. And so taking a break and geeking out on this narrative structure and marketing thing, well, that, that turned my career toward business writing. My own company, which I never thought I'd own a company, began to take off and, you know, we're 30 employees and $15 million uh, or more. And, Suddenly, I've got to I've got to learn how to run a company, and so as I as I try to figure out my management and execution, my cash flow, my marketing, my sales administration, my all this you know stuff that I didn't know existed was all very complicated, and hmm. and business schools I didn't think taught it very well, and what I realized in that process was actually I'm pretty good at taking really complicated things and turning around and explaining them so that people can understand it, and when I applied that to business. Uh, it was very fulfilling for me. So now what I do is I just teach small businesses how to grow their their business using frameworks that I think think are much more simple than than those available, uh, you know, in higher education. And so we're really just a blue collar small business coaching company. But that seems like Don Miller, Blue Like Jazz pivots to business coach seems like a hard pivot. But I trust you can see the thread was actually the study of story and the enjoyment of writing. And it, one thing led to another. And it never felt like I was taking a hard right turn to me. Well, you know, to be honest with you, it kind of felt like that to me on the outside sure. looking in, I mean, not having a relationship. Not? It felt like a hard right or a hard left or a big pivot. Yeah. But what I love and what we'll spend a lot of time talking about here on a mission and what I was absolutely, you know, riveted to see was this marriage of business Don and blue like jazz Don. Like you got back yeah. into a little bit of personal narrative, biography, your own story. And let me let me just ask you this, was part of it, because you've talked about it publicly, like I rarely miss an episode of Business Made Simple, which was the story brand podcast. Yeah. But you've talked about like all that money you made off blue like jazz disappeared in an <laughs> investment, right? Or something happened it where- It disappeared one morning. <laughs> one morning. Oh my gosh. What was it? Bitcoin it was before there was morning. Bitcoin coin or like what? No, no, no. It was, um, I wrote a film. I, I wrote a screenplay with two friends and, um, I'd never done that before. And we wrote the screenplay and in order to produce it, it, we needed money. And yeah. I just happened to be sitting on, uh, $350,000 cause I just sold my home. So that's $350,000 after taxes, which means $700,000 worth of royalties. Now I grew up, my mother never made more than $20,000 a year her entire life until the last few years. So I grew up standing in line for government cheese. You know, $350,000 may not sound like a lot in terms of a life savings for some people, but for me at 35, it represented everything. That's and, a lot of and, money, dude. And I had paid off my house. And so I sold my house. I went to buy another house. That house 
was bought out from under me. So I'm sitting on $350,000. And I really believed I could put it into the movie for six months and we were going to get such a good return at the box office that um, I would make, you know, 375 or 400. And yeah. at that time, I'd know what house I want to buy and we'd get it back. Well, discovered really quickly, and I take 100% responsibility for it. One, the movie was, I think the movie was good, but even objectively, I would say it was not as good as most movies you can watch on TV or at the theater. You know, now that I know how hard it is to make a movie, I have enormous respect for what we did. And I agree with the critics that it wasn't very good compared <laughs> yeah. to it. So I don't yeah. know, you know, how, try to marry those two worlds. Um, and then just didn't have the platform to drive the box office. So you find out on a Monday morning what your film did, and we lost everything. I mean, we, we drove wow. 100,000, 150,000 people to the box office, which is incredible. If you think about getting mm -hmm. 150,000 people in a stadium. Well, yeah. Like unbelievable. But to, to thousands of theaters across the country, it's, it's a disaster. And uh, I lost everything. Later, I was able to write it off the loss, and we actually got about a hundred grand back. You know, so it wasn't a huge deal, but it was it was um, it was extremely painful. Yeah. Uh, I had just started dating the woman who's now my wife, mm. and you know, to have the the rug pulled out from under you, to go into a relationship with somebody you really care about and hope it works out. You know, ultimately, Carrie emasculated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. Well, it was just I a bring painful, myself. Painful I got nothing else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and I didn't believe I was all that much to offer. So you know, I, I was like, without the money, uh, I don't know what I what this girl's getting into here. So uh, that you know, that's how I felt at the time. But yeah, that was a rough season. Yeah, I I can imagine. And you know, you 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 did simplify the business framework in a really big way for a lot of people. I mean, that book sold really, really well. Our team devoured it and loved it. And again, nobody else on our team has been to business school. Well, frankly, I haven't been to business school. <laughs> I went to law school and <laughs> seminary. That doesn't prepare you to run anything. Um, so, you know, it's super Actually, helpful. law school and seminary does prepare you for church life, I think, extremely well. <laughs> well, church life- <laughs> you just, All you need is a counseling degree. Law school, seminary, counseling degree, and you've got the trifecta. I there think. you go. I'm the worst counselor. <laughs> Did you do what I asked you to do? No. Okay, we're done. Finished. Thank you. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Get out of my office. It's no good. Um, how did you know? Okay, you hinted at it a little bit. With, I guess it was Accenture that hired you to do Story Brand. How did you figure out, or was it just really an evolution? Like, okay, I did this for Accenture. Maybe I can help other businesses with it. And did you? Because we have a, you know, it's a leadership podcast, so we have a lot of people who want to get into podcasting, etc. Yeah, I'm pulling my memory bank here, and if I got it wrong, just tell me. Did you launch the podcast as a way of um, publicizing the book, Building a Story Brand? Because I think they yeah. came out around the same time, didn't they? It, we did, yeah. I okay. mean, it, we had been we had been uh, taking businesses through Story Brand for almost three years before the book ever came out and before the podcast was launched. So we were doing this behind the scenes, and we were pretty shocked at how when people went through the framework, clarified their message, changed the wording on their websites, those sorts of things. Um, we just saw business after business, you know, and I'm not exaggerating, double in revenue very, very quickly. And all they did was change the way they talked about their products. They didn't, they didn't invest anything else. They, you know, so we, we knew we were onto something. And I knew the potential was pretty big as I wrote the book and took a lot of time with that book and tried to get it right. Um, and, you know, and the rest is history. Um, but, but yeah, so I was, you know, but, but Carrie, from a personal perspective, 
I felt I felt really, really lucky because, you know, to have a book like Blue Like Jazz take off and kind of be given a writing career, um, to lose everything, at least financially, and then to be given a second shot in a whole different category, you know, business. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, God, it's almost, you know, sometimes I'm sure you felt like, God, this isn't even fair. Like, it's unfair in the opposite direction. Like you're being too kind. Yes. And, you know, I, I really felt that when when we were, I was able to go out. Plus, I talked about my own story for so long. To turn around and help somebody else talk about their story and communicate their story was extremely fulfilling for me. Well, and you're an excellent writer. I mean, you know, your first eight books were were known, you know, for their content, but also for their form, for the writing. Like, people just loved the way you wrote. And then to be able to isolate the principles and bring that out is good. But it feels like, you know, there have been some really fascinating pivots from the blue-like jazz phase to story brand and then rebranding about a year, year and a half ago into business made simple. And then you've got marketing made simple. And, you know, now you're in this new phase where your dad, congratulations for the yeah. first time. Six, she's six months old uh, uh, at the end of December. That's fantastic, Don. A lot of leaders are finding themselves having to reinvent themselves. The church isn't what yeah. it used to be. The business isn't what it used to be. We're potentially heading into a third year of crisis and reinvention. What are some principles you've learned about kind of reinventing yourself or taking those pivots along the way? Well, I I, I don't think, you know, I didn't reinvent myself you know, I just, I just slowly transformed, but had to, had to reposition myself in the market, which looked like reinvention. And I yeah. think that's mostly what, what I would say to pastors is you've actually been transforming for a while. You've just got a congregation who still thinks of you the way you were. Oh. And, and to be able to come out and say, you know, actually, whatever it is, you know, I'm much more interested. I, I was just texting with a, with my original pastor last night, uh, I say my original pastor, the, the guy, you know, who was, when I wrote Blue Like Jazz, I was attending his in church Washington, in Washington. Yeah, wherever now. that was. Yeah. And, and we're still friends. And he's, he's uh, his name is Rick McKinley. He's one of the guys I respect most in the entire world. He's just a wonderful human being. And, you know, he's, he's getting older and at some point he's going to transition and, you know, he's starting to think of what he's going to do. And, you know, he's got a special needs daughter. And so there's a camp here. He's got you know, he's done a lot of, of consulting with city leaders. You know, I'm not sure what, what Rick is going to do. That's his business. And he's no, and he's nowhere, you know, he's, he's not even thinking about moving yet. He's just sure. reading my books and going, Hey, what do you think? Of me? And I, I think at some point, you know, he's got to sort of publicly launch a new, what to the public would be a new identity, but what for him has been growing inside for a very long time. Hmm. And then, so the real question is, uh, are you going to be able to deal with the honking horns and the weight, that's not who you are. And who do you think you are? I think there's a three or four month season where people don't like for you to change and you've got to weather that storm and then everybody accepts it and you can move on with your new, your new identity, which is actually who you are. The, the reason that it's so important, I think, to go through that phase is the longer you go without going through that phase, the less authentic you actually are. Oh. You're, you're, now, you're now pretending to be the person that you used to be in order to please this con congregation. But the truth is, theologically, you've changed. Uh, maybe socially, you've changed. Uh, maybe you used to position yourself as the mentee, but you've really become the mentor. You've changed. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's important. And, and I'm very, very, very grateful that, at least through my books, I've been able to sort of announce, well, here's who I am now and here's what I'm interested in. You know, I'm not a secret business guy that still pretends to be a Christian memoirist. You know, and and it was very uncomfortable for you know people like wait who why, why are you talking about business and you've sold out and now all you care about is money and you know I got all of that pushback and um and I just would kind of read it and go you know may, maybe they've got a point let me try to own what I can there but I I really actually just think I'm geeky crazy about business right now <laughs> and I'm enjoying <laughs> writing about it. I. You know, every all of us have mixed motives, but I think some of my motives are pure. And uh, so the the key is like, can you change lanes and deal with the honking until everybody accepts you in the lane that you're in? To me, that's transformation. That is really good advice. So you know, like you, you've said it many times on your podcast. I do this for free consulting and also free therapy. So <laughs> <Yeah>. 500 <laughs> episodes in, I'm going to try to get some free consulting from Don Miller. So yeah, it's, you it's know, the biggest bait and switch in the world. Host a podcast so you can get really. <laughs> Expensive consulting for free. For it's free. wonderful. That's, that's my goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We looked into, uh, you know, private consulting and this is cheaper. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, talk about reinvention for a second, because I have thought about this again, hardly missing an episode, reading your books, following what you do very closely and admiring it, really appreciating it. Um, you know, people have said to me for a long time, because this was a hobby and now it's my full-time job. And I write about the church, but I'm also a former lawyer and very interested in business and have an entrepreneurial streak in me. And uh, the advice I've gotten from numerous sources over the years is you have to pick a lane. You're either a church writer or you're a business writer. And I figured if I consulted with Don Miller, Don would tell me, yeah, totally, you should pick a lane and stick with it. And yet I found myself really divided. So I'm going to make a long story short. Um, because, you know, even guests on this podcast. So today I have Donald Miller, um, you know, I've had Seth Godin, and then next I'm interviewing N.T. Wright, or before he died, Eugene Peterson. And in my heart, I couldn't give either up. Like, I want to have a conversation with Simon Sinek, and I want to have a conversation with Beth Moore. I, I don't know why, that's just me. And and because yeah. my interests are there. And then this summer, the penny dropped for me. Because I'm like, I got to pick a lane. Like the consultants, and you didn't consult with me on this, but like m- my friends are right. I'm like schizophrenic. And then I thought, you know what I do? And it just dropped to me one morning. I bring the best of the business world to the church and the best of the church to the business world. And that's not really our tagline, but we've got a lot of growth and 20 million downloads on this show and you know, a blog that reaches millions of people a year. And I'm like, maybe I can live in that tension. And then that feels reproducible for me and for my company for at least the foreseeable future. It's like, oh, I can live in that tension. Is there a branding problem there? I'm just curious. That's the free consulting question. Okay, well, uh, maybe again, my my opinions are worth what they're worth. I think authentically being who you are is more important than not creating brand confusion. So I think anybody who says, well, I, but I enjoy both conversations, it, you know, should have both conversations. Um, I think also just as a business reality, the overlap in the Venn diagram between faith and business is big enough that there's there's plenty of, of opportunity there to live in that zone. So, you know, you're, you're lucky there that you're not in some tiny, 
you know, religious commune. <laughs> there's yeah, there's no right. overlap. There's plenty of overlap. There's so many business people in the yeah. reform in the faith people community. who love Abraham Kuyper who also love business. It's like, yeah, that's a yeah, real it, small it, circle of is. the Venn diagram. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the one thing that I would say is that I think the faith conversation uh, is different than the business conversation. And it's dangerous in one sense from a business perspective. And that is that wisdom, counsel, shepherding, discipleship, uh, all of the stuff that you talk about as it relates to faith has an economic value. And I hate to say it, but the economic value is zero. And here's why. Because I go to church and I get it for free. Because I can go online and listen to Timothy Keller give me the greatest wisdom in the world. Because now, but in business, actually sitting down and getting wisdom in business and getting frameworks, the economic value is incredibly high because we use those frameworks to make money. And so a percentage of that money is, is what is expected for me to pay for those frameworks. But I don't use any faith, uh, wisdom to make money. I, I use it right. to please God and to honor God, which is more valuable than money. So, so that I think is the, that's the actual tension. Um, and you'd want to, you'd, you'd want to sort of walk that really well. I, I, I will say this, and this is the advice I give to everybody in your position. It's the yeah. best advice that I can give to anybody in your position. And it really almost doesn't relate to what your question was, but, but the best advice I can give is this. Um, what you and your team might do is actually create a menu of products with fixed prices and then reverse engineer what your brand is from there. So for instance, if you said, um, I help churches reach the business community and feed the business community so that more business leaders actually show up in your church. I do that through a one-day introductory workshop and six months of consulting where we spend an hour together every other week. Mm. That costs $25,000. Right. Now, you see, now you've got this product and you can reverse engineer a brand around that product. And, and maybe you have six or eight of those products and they're very, very different. Now, Kerry Newhoff is the guy who helps the church interact with the business community because he fundamentally doesn't believe they should be separated. He thinks ah. they have things to teach each other. So the problem that he solves is that in my congregation as a pastor, the business community doesn't feel like they play a part or have a voice or have anything to do. In fact, you've got some of the most powerful business leaders in my community, and I'm asking them to volunteer at Vacation Bible School. When these people could literally leverage their power and wisdom to fix Haiti, Right, but I'm not. Right. I'm not doing anything about it. So that you know, <sighs> you've got it. So now you see what I'm saying. So now you now, Carrie Newhoff solves a problem for pastors, and it's worth a lot. You know, the other thing that you could actually say is the opposite direction. So you could say, look, the business community, and I truly, fundamentally believe this. The business community has more to learn about content creation and distribution from the church than any other institution in the world. Here, here. That the church is literally producing dynamic content in video form and audio form every week. And so uh, you, you could have literally a, a, a product called Why the Church is Beating Big Business in, in, uh, in Content Creation, 
and what you can learn from them. And the business community might pay $25,000 for that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just making things up. No, but no, what, this is really got, good. Inside, but inside of that Venn diagram, there's a territory that Kerry Newhoff can own. But the only way he's going to own it is actually to create products with fixed prices that solve specific problems that people can actually purchase. And then it's in the marketing of those products that your brand is actually created. Okay. That's a lot to unpack. And maybe we will have a conversation offline. I mean, those are things I'm not currently doing, um, but I have right, thought but, about but, that. But you're doing stuff that's close enough to it. We are. That, you know, it's just tweaking it a little bit. You know, a little bit. If, if, if you had to push me, I would say like at law school, I, I did okay at law school, you know, passed the bar ads, which was excruciatingly difficult. Um, but the one thing they never prepare you for in law school or in seminary is how to run a firm or how to run a church. So yeah, I can preach, that a lot. but I don't know how to lead up. It's what well, you the say. one thing they don't, they don't teach you to do in business school is to run a business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they no. teach you about, about trade, trade, uh, you know, you read a, a paper on trade with China, you learn about the federal treasury, you learn about <laughs> And in, in how inflation happens. I mean, what, what of this do I need to know to sell plungers to people? I, you know, I have no idea. No, you're exactly right, Don. And so I think of myself as filling in the gaps for leaders, particularly leaders. Well, we have, you know, people who lead some very big things too, just when we talk about trends. But it's like, well, let's talk about team leadership. Let's talk about, I'm doing, it's funny because yeah. you mentioned marketing products well. So I'm in the middle of writing a marketing course. Don't worry, we're not, you, you, <laughs> no, you no. own that market. But like, I want to speak into my niche for it. And I showed my team the outline of it this week. And they're like, this isn't a marketing course. This is a content creation course. And I'm like, well, yes. that's how so, we so, built so the company. To me, that's the, but to me, that's the space because mm -hmm. the church has more to teach business about content creation and distribution than the other way around. Wow. I mean, they, they really do. If you said, if you said to, now, now listen, if you wrote a book called Think Like a Pastor, uh, the one secret to making your business take off. Feed your people, prepare your content, and deliver it on a regular basis. I mean, you know, the list just goes on and on. It's Create community. Uh, meet their emotional needs, not just their their business needs. I mean, think like a pastor. And and who would love that? Oh. Pastors. Because you're honoring pastors and you know. And you're there's, honoring there's, business there's, leaders. There's a book idea for you. And you're honoring business leaders. And, right. and it's 100% true. I'm going back to the they transcripts would and downloading do you remember? That. Do you remember um, Andy Stanley? Mm. Uh, I was in a, uh, just before Barack Obama's second inauguration, I don't mean to bring up politics, but I was in the, the little chapel across from the White House uh, where before the second inauguration, for some reason I was invited to sit up in the balcony and and watch Andy Stanley preach a sermon to Barack Obama and the cabinet. I mean, there were all of 50 people in the pews and they were all, all the cabinet members, the Obama, the family, the vice president, the vice president's family. That, that's it. And Andy Stanley gave one of the most, you know, memorable sermons I've ever heard. And he's done that 25 times. So that, that's nothing for Andy. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that he works very hard to do he that. Does work very hard. But, um, Basically, what he said was he, he, you know, he honored the president, even even though Andy didn't want to get into all the political fray. But he honored the president, especially after the shootings at Newtown, mm -hmm. when all those children were were just were tragically murdered. He said, "You were our you were our pastor in chief," mm -hmm. and you know, it, you could tell the president was really moved and honored by that compliment from Andy. You know, especially in a world where business leaders. 
you know, even today I had a conversation about a business leader who is known for standing up in the microphone and talking about the importance of love and behind the scenes, he's a complete bully and people don't want to work with them. So this idea of like, it's, you know, especially with this next generation, you are not going to get away with that. You're not. And, you know, so, so I love that that would be your niche of like, you know, business leaders have a lot to learn from faith communities. You know, another resource for you, I can't remember who wrote it. A woman wrote it. It's basically, a, it's, it reads like a dissertation, but it's a book called Cultish. So yeah, she I've actually takes read the, the Jim Jones massacre and that cult, 900 people killed, all, you know, terrible. I'm old but enough to she, remember she that. She looks at the dynamics of what made up that cult. And then she lays them over very popular businesses like Peloton and CrossFit. Not in a demeaning way. She's not saying these are cults, but she's saying these leaders have created a cultish kind of following. And so, you know, there's something there to explore in terms of what is it that people are looking for in, in commercialized communities that the church is meeting that human need and they're leaving the church and they're going into Peloton and CrossFit. It's a very interesting conversation between the two. And it's something I think you're uniquely gifted to be able to to speak to. I appreciate that, Don. Uh, I really do. And, you know, it's interesting for me too, because I think you have to be very careful in the church space. I will trade peace for money any day. I want to be able to feel good about. And do. Yeah. And I do. I actually do. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, and we're not we're not hurting, but on the other hand, you know, I could figure out how to scale this a lot faster than it's scaling. And yet yeah, there's a joy. Really- and I love that idea of just kind of, okay, figuring out who you are. And I am reinventing myself. Like I was full-time, you know, pastor, felt that season coming to an end, and I'm really enjoying this season. But uh, I love how for you that has been part of a two-decade-long narrative of your adult life. It's like, yeah, that was my blue light jazz phase. And then we got into story brand and then we did business made simple. And now I'm a dad and maybe things are coming a little more full circle <laughs> and it's awesome. And, and thank you for the free consulting that uh, I should write you a check, a, a big one. That was a, that was really, really <laughs> helpful. And I will be going back well, I, and you taking know, notes. I hope it happens just because I'd read the book. You know, if you wrote a book called Think Like a Pastor, I'd read the book. I might do that. And Think Like prob- a Pastor, what business leaders could learn uh, from the incredible success of the American church, you know, whatever, something like that. That's a lot there. That's incredible, Don. There's 50,000 people listening to this though. So maybe, uh, maybe someone else will write it overnight. It's Carrie's idea. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So, you know, when it comes out, it got scooped. Uh, let's talk about, okay. Mistakes business leaders make, because there is, this is not going to get us in trouble because we've been down this road too many times, but I do think that running a church has business like elements. And, you know, pastoral elements are really good to have when you're running a business. Like if you treat your people like dirt, they're going to leave. And if you treat your customers badly, they're going to leave. But what are some of the business mistakes when you think about your business made simple framework that you see leaders making again and again? I think there are six of them. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go through them as quickly as possible to not dominate the conversation here. But you know, business made simple is built on the principle that a good business works like an airplane in the sense that you have the cockpit, which is your leadership, 
and that business needs to know where it's going. You reverse engineer everything in an airplane based on where you're flying it to. The ride engine works like uh, your marketing, or the marketing works like your ride engine. It creates thrust that moves the airplane forward. The left engine is your sales apparatus. It increases the thrust. The wings are your product. When you sell them, the airplane gets lift. The body is your overhead. You don't want it to get too big or it will bring the plane down. And uh, the fuel tanks are your cash flow. And if you run out, you'll crash. So if you can manage basically casting a vision for the organization that everybody buys into, that's your leadership. Mm-hmm. Clarify your message and and emanate that message, if you will, through a, a sales funnel. Uh, on the sales side, invite customers into a story. Uh, the wings need to be profitable and in demand or your products are going to crash the airplane. Your body needs to be lean. And the fuel tanks need to have enough cash flow in them so that you have six months to circle the airport. So the six mistakes you make are, one, you don't cast a vision that everybody buys into. Two, your message is so unclear, customers don't know why they would come to you. Three, your sales team makes the story about them, not about the customer. Four, uh, your products are not in demand or profitable enough. Five, you spend a ton of money on overhead like fancy office space and swag and not kept it lean. So your, your, your airplane is too heavy. And six, you spent the money on a bass boat rather than having a security account in case you ran into trouble. And those are the six reasons that business, the dominant six reasons businesses go down. And if you just manage your airplane, well, it will fly far and fast and generate an enormous amount of revenue and profit for you for the life of that business. Yeah, but profitability really hit me with that because I think I have a, a charitable mindset where it's like, if we break even, we're good, right? What's mm, in, yeah. And I realize even looking back on 20 years of leading the church, I mean, we raised good money and we always, you know, had a responsible debt to income ratio, et cetera, et cetera. But I think about what we might have done if we had done a better job of that. What is the importance of profitability in a business or even not churches don't make profits, but for the church leaders listening, um, you know, why is taking that a little more seriously? Because a lot of leaders have an allergy to the money side of the business. Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're in business and you have an allergy to the money side of business, you're not going to be in business for very long. Yeah. Yeah. So products that are very profitable uh, make it make the plane much more safe. That's all you have to think about. It's really about safety. It's about the safety of your family and the safety of your team and the safety of that vision that you're trying to accomplish. So profitability is very important. Now, I firmly believe that people don't respect things they don't pay for. Mm-hmm. And so so I charge for the, the products and services that we deliver for two reasons. One, I usually charge... Uh, 10% of what I think that product will make you. So if you pay me for a day of consulting, I, I charge you a lot of money, but I only charge it if you can, I, you know, I charge a lot of money, but I only charge what you can, based on whether or not you can 10X what you paid me if you, if you execute on the plan that we come up with together. I also offer a money back guarantee. So if you don't make 10X, I will literally write you a check for every dime that you paid me. And I've never had to write a check, you know, because I, I pick and choose the clients that I work with to make sure they can make, you know, literally millions off of what we're going to talk about. So, uh, you know, but, I, you know, I try to run a really healthy profit margin because it allows money to flow through the fuel tank so that we can circle the airport. When COVID hit us, 
we were 80% dependent on people getting on airplanes and flying to Nashville, and our business was dead in the water. We had six months to figure out what to do next. And we were able to pivot our plans so that last year, the year that we got hit with COVID pretty hard, was our best year ever. So, you know, but that doesn't happen unless you really fly the airplane extremely well. Uh, I think a ministry mindset when you get into business can really can really hurt you uh, because people don't, they respect a ministry mindset in ministry. They don't respect it in business. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't respect you sitting down and giving them something for free. They don't, you know, they may say they do, but they don't. You know, if you sit down and give somebody some really valuable consulting for free, it's a coin flip whether or not they'll they'll actually execute it. But if you charge them $10,000 for that advice, they're going to execute it. And, you know, because they paid for it. They've got skin in the game. So I'd be really careful about, about that stuff. And, and profitability is really, really important. Now, whether or not you're greedy with the money and what you do with the money uh, is a secondary conversation. And, you know, Betsy and I like to live off about 10% of what we make. Wow. And the rest, the rest goes into really smart investments because I got married at 42. I had a baby at 50. I got to be really smart financially with my family because I'm probably going to leave them realistically, Carrie. I'm going to leave them on the earth for 20, my wife, probably 20 years. And and my daughter, 60 years. You know, so I, you know, I've got to be, this is not a joke to me. I've got to be really, really smart with the finances in order to be responsible as a man to help, to help these women that I love so very much. Not that they're, they can't do it on their own. They can do it on their own. I just don't want them to have to. I want yeah, them to be yeah, thankful I get for that. Dad. I get that. So, you know. Oh, the, the money is really important, and and Betsy and I live off, we live off a lot less than we make, and as long as we keep that, and we give a lot a lot of money away, so you know we 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 try to be smart with the money, um, and I do give a lot of free advice. If you listen to the Business Made Simple podcast, it's literally just me interviewing all a small business advice. leader, yeah, giving them giving telling them what to do, you know. So we give it a lot a lot of it away, but at the same time, I think the wings of your airplane need to be big. And they need to be light because that takes the burden off of the right and left engine and takes a big burden off of the fuel tank. And it makes everybody in the airplane much more safe. Yeah, it's a great analogy. So let's talk for a minute about podcasting. Um, A lot of listeners would cross listen to your show from this show. And uh, I want to, and a lot of people want to start their own podcast. So lessons from podcasting, you started it to help support building a story brand all those years ago when you wrote that book. Um, do you see it as a way of serving your customers, uh, growing your brand, something else? Like how, what, what boxes does your podcast tick in your mind? It takes a few. The very first thing that it has to tick is that I love doing it. <laughs> yeah. And there, you know, if it, if it, if I don't love doing it, it's going to come off in the microphone. It's going to come off in the listener's ear. They're going to feel it. And I discovered that recently because we did, years and years and years, hundreds of episodes interviewing best-selling authors. And the thing is every week I'd be interviewing a best-selling author. I didn't have time to read their book. So I, I just felt really stressed about the and inauthentic about having this conversation. And I said to my producer, what if we just interviewed somebody who has a small business and I, and I just gave them advice on what I think they should do next? And we tried it, and I, Carrie, I just came alive. Mm. I just fell in love with the conversation. I couldn't wait to have the next one. And we decided to take a huge risk and pivot away from best-selling authors. And now we're doing about 70%, you know, a dance studio in Salt Lake City, an upstart 
called Intern University, where they're trying to train corporations on how to deal with interns. Um, a, a woman who who is a facilitator to teach facilitators how to be better facilitators. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a, a, an upstart clothing brand. Yesterday, I, I interviewed an upstart clothing brand that's trying to to take the money and save a dead language in in Guatemala. You know, and just saying, okay, well, let's talk about a sales funnel. Let's talk about a product funnel. Let's talk about streamlining your executive assistant. Let's talk about how to manage your cash. Those th- that became really exciting. And shockingly, shockingly, we're seeing a 10% rise in the number of downloads every week when we've gone away from celebrities and on to what I would consider, what I feel very passionate about. So that's the first thing. Hmm. Then the second thing about the podcast is, you, there's three things. The second thing about the podcast is you use it to actually clarify what your brand is. And let me just give everybody a, a tip on how to do this. The first and last things out of your mouth on the podcast need to be scripted and controlled. And so, you know, if you listen to Made Simple Podcast, we've been trying to figure that this out. And we we think we've landed on it now where where I just say, welcome to the Business Made Simple Podcast, where we believe Building a small business is a lot like building an airplane. Hmm. And we list the six parts of the airplane, which I did earlier. And then we say, today, we're going to talk about the left engine. We're going to talk about sales. I'm talking to a dance studio in Salt Lake City that just hired a sales rep. What should that sales rep do? You know, so we've got this structure, but we know the controlling idea, if you will, is we want everybody thinking of business like an airplane. That's the controlling idea. And it's not just, we're not just here to have fun, have any old conversation we want. It's got to be within the pair, the, within the box of this airplane that we're trying to buy uh, cognitive real estate in our listeners' brains. Hmm. Then we end it by saying, thanks so much for listening to the BizMate Simple, Simple Podcast, where we believe growing a small business is a lot like building an airplane. We hope that your airplane flies far and fast. So there's a little bit of a propaganda agenda. Sure. Now, the, th- the third thing is leads. So at some point, we're going to tell you to go to mybusinessreport.com and take a, an assessment and, you know, you'll get a report about your business. The, the, you know, we're going to mention our dominant lead generator a couple times every episode. And we get, you know, 15, 20, 30 leads a day off of that. And then, you know, uh, we tell them what we offer and what problems we solve and they find their products from there. Because it has to, you know, my podcast costs about $3,000 an episode when you think about the full-time staff who are editing it mm-hmm. and the equipment that we're using and that kind of stuff. You know, podcasting does not have to be that expensive, but you know, we've thrown a lot into it. Yeah. So those three things are the things that I think about when it comes to podcasting. What do you love? Then what is the brand that you're going to build using it? And then how is it going to get you leads? Oh, that's great. So just because this is a great question. People wonder about that. So you have 15 to 30 people a day who are filling out a form. Typically, if you know yeah. this number or you're comfortable sharing it, how many downloads an episode would you get in the first 60 days? Get- oh, uh, I mean, I, I've heard numbers that, that we've got a couple hundred thousand people listening per episode. I mean, or sorry, downloading per episode. Downloading per so episode, yeah. I, of that, I, I think it's in the the you know, tens of thousands who are actually listening. And of those, you know, 
people are downloading my business report. But when we first announced my business report on the podcast, I think we had 4,000 people go through the assessment immediately. Yep. So it's, so it's, it's been real, it's been a really successful thing, but we will also change the lead generator over, you know, to make it stronger and to make it better. But, you know, essentially that's our ad. We don't have ads on our podcast. Right. Uh, we're about to move to the HubSpot podcast network where they will put ads on the podcast, but our only, our only ads are stuff that we do in exchange for an email address so that we can keep in touch with you. We're moving more in that direction in 2022 as well, keeping more spots for ourselves rather than third parties. It's really been great. Yeah. But what I, the reason I asked that question, Don, was I think it's very encouraging for people to know that, okay, we got 10,000, 100,000 downloads per episode, but 15 to 30 well-placed leads are actually success. You have to be able yeah, to do something with those, right? We feel, we feel really good about that. And of yeah. course, it's one of the ways that we get leads. There's, there's right. also books out there. And then we've got a Facebook ad strategy that we use. You know, it's, it's one of the ways that we get leads. So let's talk about, we got about 15 minutes left. So let's talk about Hero on a Mission. Because I think it's yeah. a really fascinating book. That wonderful full circle of some narrative, some story, some autobiography, and all the business principles uh, aligned with that. Another like clarification question so one of the things you've said consistently over the last 10 years is don't be the hero, be the guide. Because the classic mm-hmm. mistake that businesses make is look at me. I'm such a great consultant. You should pay me X amount right. of money. Or, you know, this company was started by my father and now I run the lawn care business. You're like, no, make the customer the hero. You want a green lawn that you're really proud of when you're hosting people on the weekend. So shift the screen view is the way I often think about it. Yeah. But yeah. now you're saying, actually, you can be a hero on a mission. So where, how does, how does that fit together? It's different. Yeah. Now. You know, maybe I, maybe I wrote them in the wrong order. <laughs> Building a story brand says, look, as a leader and as a brand, never play the hero, always play the guide. Yeah. Uh, because heroes are having to overcome problems and they need help. And so as a leader, I firmly believe in your messaging, in your marketing, you want to position yourself as a guide in your area of expertise. So here on a mission comes back and basically says, how do you, how you become the guide is you play the hero for a long period of time. And uh, guides are older, they're wiser, they have incredible experience. You know, we, we tend to elect people who position themselves as a guide. We tend to buy products from, from brands that position themselves as a guide. But we truly live as heroes. The, the reality in the first chapter of the book says that there is there are four characters in most stories, four major characters. It's the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. And those four characters exist in stories because they exist in you. Hmm. Uh, ev- every day, each of us play the victim, each of us play the villain, each of us play the hero, and each of us play the guide. And the premise of the book is that, you know, if you play the victim, the more time you spend playing the victim, and a victim basically believes they're doomed. Hmm that they're, hope, they're hopeless and they're helpless. Uh, I play the victim every day around one vice, and it's called sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I was on every keto for I earlier say, this week. I am week. helpless yeah. against this Reese's peanut butter cup. Uh, you know, you. But what is, what is Don doing when he does that? Well, he's playing the victim so that he can eat the Reese's peanut butter cup. The truth mm-hmm. is I do have the discipline to overcome this. And, and honestly, on most days, except for Sunday, when I reserve the right to eat one dessert, uh, I mostly do not play the victim. So, you know, the, the more time you spend playing the victim, the worse your life is going to go. Mm. Uh, if you play the villain, and the villain's dominant characteristic is that they make others small. 
So when we gossip about people, when we demean them behind their back, when we attack people, when we try to control people, or when we bully people, we're making them small. And, you know, if you want to do that, you can do that. It's a free country. However, just look at what happens to villains in stories. In stories, villains, people gang up against them, and they try to restrain them because they're hurting people. And sometimes villainous behavior is criminal, and, and we, just, we literally have to put you in prison. I mean, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And um, that's what happens to villains. Heroes, the dominant characteristic is that they face their challenges and transform so that they can overcome those challenges. So the more time as heroes that we spend saying, look, this is hard, but I'm going to face it, I'm going to be honest about it, and I'm going to do what I can to overcome it, That's the, if we have that energy and we approach life with that energy, then we actually do transform into better versions of ourselves, just like heroes do in movies. Once you transform enough, you can actually turn around and help another hero transform. And you, can, you get into a space where you actually care more about their story than you do about your own. Parenthood, by the way, is a punctuated evolution into becoming a guide. But that is the dominant guide characteristic. So the whole book is called Hero on a Mission, but the second to the last chapter is about the characteristics of a guide because that's actually who we become. And, and that framework is laid over the top of Viktor Frankl's uh, logotherapy. And you're, you're familiar with his work, I'm sure, but... Yeah. Basically, he had a very practical recipe for how to experience a deep sense of meaning. And when you when you live as the hero and you live as the guide, you get to experience a deep sense of meaning. And I've experienced it over the last 10 years. But when we live as a victim, we live as a villain, we don't. So, so, so that's what the book is actually about. But, you know, the book is an existential defense of the fact that life is meaningful. And I say existential because the fact that life is meaningful is very hard to defend unless we agree on certain theological principles, but it's even harder to experience. Mm. And, you know, you can, you can believe in your head that life is meaningful and still be suicidal just because you're so sad and filled with anxiety. You know, so I'm talking about how do we actually get that sense of meaning into our emotions? And, and in the book, I, I explain Viktor Frankl's uh, theory of that. And um, it took, it was 10 years of me trying to do that and just never really could word it where people could understand it. And finally, with Hero on a Mission, I think I was able to get it down on paper. Yeah. Is that mostly in um, Man's Search for Meaning, Frankel's book, or is it Man's found Search in other for places? Meaning and then, yeah. Yeah. Man's Search for Meaning, of course, is, is the, the seminal work. In, in 1996, he died. But last year, the publisher released a book called Yes to Life. Which, is, which are about five or six speeches that he gave coming out of the concentration camps. And now this is a man who had come out of the concentration camps only three and four months earlier and is going around giving speeches defending the fact that life is actually beautiful and meaningful. And he had lost you everybody, know, his wife, his children, he lost, he lost his, his he parents. He lost Tilly, he lost his wife, he lost his baby, he lost his mom, he lost his dad, he lost his friends, he lost everybody. Wow. Okay, that's good to know. We'll link to all that in the show notes. So if I got this wrong, and I did read the book, but I read it prepping for an interview, and you know there's a difference between like sitting yeah. around for the whole weekend reading the book, but uh, I right. felt like maybe it was two hats. Yeah, my job at Kerry Newhoff Communications is I'm a guide. I'm not the hero of my company. Right, exactly. But I have my own personal But when mission. it comes to going to the gym every day, you're the hero. I'm the hero. You know, when, yeah, to- when I go, I'm the hero, right, Don? Um <laughs> But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want to talk about victim mindset a little bit, because again, this is where your two writing styles kind of marry. And you talk at the beginning of the book 
about really in that pre-Blue Like Jazz phase, during the Blue Like Jazz phase, you felt like the victim. And it was something you had to yeah. transcend. And I've talked to so many leaders who are like, COVID, like, I don't even want to hear the word anymore. But, you know, it's so easy to feel like all these external forces are the reason why we are where we are, that we don't have agency. And you talk about agency in the book. So talk a little bit about that season in your life and what was key to re like, what was it like when you were a victim? And then how did you find agency? It was awful when I saw myself as a victim mm -hmm. and, um, and it was looking back, it was a coping mechanism. Um, you know, the way I grew up was, was pretty difficult. Not as hard as a lot, a lot of people listening, but it, but it was difficult. You know, dad split when I was about two, my mother never made, as I said earlier, more than 20 grand. We stood in line. We, we, I, I, I was born into the government projects, uh, just a few miles from the government projects where George Floyd was, that he was born into. And, you know, and we stood in line for government cheese. My mother sewed our clothes, you know, so I was bullied at school. And, and one of the coping mechanisms that I came, that I was introduced to and, and knew as a child was just eating sweets and comfort food. And, and, you know, that became my thing as a kid. I was the heaviest kid in my elementary school and the, and the heaviest kid in my high school. And, um, you know, at one time was 387 pounds. I'm 210 right now. So, you know, imagine 187 more pounds of coping mechanism. You know, well, after I lost the weight, I still would default to this, but it's hard and please don't hurt me. And I'm just a little weakling. And why would you want to mess with me? It takes a long time to overcome those kind of coping mechanisms. But the more I was able to say, no, I want to be a writer and I I want to try this and I, and I want to, I want to, I want to put my voice out there and see what people think. And I want to figure out some of these problems. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful to, dis to have discovered the, another heroic therapy, if you will, of just sitting down and writing. And so it's, been, it, it was not a fast transformation. It was very, it was a very slow transformation, but the more time I spent in the hero identity and the less time I spent in the victim identity, the better everything got until I was healthy enough to actually marry an extremely healthy uh, woman. And we have an extremely healthy marriage. And now we have an extremely healthy child. None of that would have been possible if I would have continued to see myself as a victim because she would have smelled immediately, wait, that's not the guy you link with. That's the guy you rescue. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You're a project, not, not a partner, I, right? That's exactly it. And uh, And, you know, so... All of that had to happen, and um, and I think victim mindset, which which we all do, and, I, and I'm you know we need our coping mechanisms sometimes. Right. We just do. I fall into um, it, so I don't fault anybody for that. But I do say, hey, look, you know, there's a way out, and and the way out is to actually accept the fact that life is extremely difficult and often painful, and heroically respond to it, and you know. Yes, it's true that we're forced into this life. Nobody asked to be here. Uh, but we have a choice within it to make it meaningful or not. And, uh, and, and Victor Frankl is the one who helped me discover an actual hero's journey. Joseph Campbell, I think, is brilliant. But, but Victor Frankl is the one who showed me the hero's journey that I took, and it made all the difference. One of the things I love about the book, and we don't have the time to explore all of it, but it's super practical. It marries with a journal and you've got exercises. Yeah, we actually for have online software 
that that my team is developing. It'll release when the book releases. Yeah, I, um, I clicked the QR code. You can code, fill out your like... eulogy and your ten-year plan, <laughs> your goal setting, your daily. I mean, it's, yeah, we really geeked out on this one, Carrie. Totally oh, nerded out. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I mean, reading the advanced copy was incredible, but I can't wait till it really comes out. So, um, Don, tell us where they can find you and where they can find the book these days. Well, Here on a Mission is available on Amazon. Uh, it's already selling well, so we're happy about that. Um, if you want to know more about the business made simple stuff, just go to businessmadesimple.com. Uh, if you want to take that, that assessment, mybusinessreport.com, uh, will give you about a 60 page report on your business. So a lot going on there, but, um, uh, you know, it's been a really, really fun journey and I haven't been able, I, there's not very many people that uh, on podcasts that I go on to talk about my own personal life journey, but this has been really fulfilling the, well, I'm you. glad, Don, because, uh, you know, I imagine, I think I know my audience fairly well. There'll be a lot of people who will say, oh, yeah, now it all fits together. And this is, <laughs> to me, it's delightful. And I just want you to know how much I've enjoyed our time together and how much I appreciate you and all of the things that you bring to the life space, the leadership space, the business space, the faith space. Just really, really grateful for you, Don. And thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks. I'll be looking for the book, Think Like a Pastor. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. I better get 18 months. <laughs> I better get working on that. Don, thanks so much. Thanks, Kerry. Well, wasn't that a great interview? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. I guess I got a book to write, right? And a bunch of other stuff to do. And I hope you got a lot of great ideas from that as well. You can get uh, transcripts for this and I will be reading them and uh, listening back, obviously. Uh, KerryNewhoff.com slash episode 468. Don, just thanks for being so open. Thanks for being so willing to uh, go wherever the conversation took us. And um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Hey, want to thank our partners today. You can start your new year off right with the 2022 digital playbook from Pro Media Fire. Claim your copy today at ProMediaFire.com slash 2022. And if you haven't yet registered for the XP Summit in Manchester, New Hampshire, May 24th and May 25th is going to come by quickly, head on over to xpsummit.org. That's xpsummit.org. Next episode, we kick off a mini-series on this podcast. Haven't really done that before in all of these episodes, but it's uh, five, maybe more episodes on the future. So I want to start at a very broad view, and I sit down with Mark Sayers. And we have a wide-ranging conversation about the profoundly disorienting change that we've been experiencing over the last two years, future trends, and what to expect in 2022 and beyond. It goes all over the place. Here's an excerpt. So I think what's actually happening is we're, we're trying to deal with these things from these political issues of human nature. The world we're heading into, the 21st century, is the return of nature. Yep, are the problems of human nature still there? Absolutely. But I think a lot of what 2020 was about was actually... We thought we'd conquered nature. We also thought we conquered human nature. So 2020 was the return of nature. You look at all of the different um, protests, you know, that started in the US but went around the world around racism and then actually went into other things. Um, that was about the return of we, we can't conquer nature and we can't conquer human nature, that the, these ongoing problems of discrimination are still there. That's next time on the podcast. And then we're also going to talk about the metaverse hybrid church with uh, Craig Rochelle and Bobby Grunwald going to talk about uh, crypto, AI, and new forms of the way money moves with Vance Roosh. And I want to get into AI and some other things on this podcast. So it's going to be 
I hope a fascinating series. I, I am thinking about this stuff all the time. We're also going to touch on Web3. Uh, I know you're like, what is Web3? Anyway, it's a big subject that's emerging. I think all of us will know what it means a year from now. So uh, that's the future series. And if you haven't subscribed yet, it's a great excuse to do it. And I would love for you to join me over at kerryneuhoff.com where I do a lot of writing as well. I have last week released my church trends post. It's one of the biggest posts of the year. I outlined a whole bunch of church trends and then some leadership trends. And my web content gets accessed over half a million times a month. And you can join over 85,000 leaders who receive a near daily email. And uh, I would love to give it to you. It's just short, hopefully very helpful. All that is over at kerryneuhoff.com. So let's hang out a little more in 2022. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Really appreciate you. And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.